Hello and welcome to Dirty Laundry Season 2. My name is Tara Stewart. I am a DJ and presenter of the new music show on 2FM. In this series, I'll be exploring all things slow fashion and sustainability. I love clothes, like love, 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 love clothes. It's my way of expressing myself, but the way I and so many others consume it has to change. So I want to learn more about the world of slow fashion. I'm going to be inviting guests I think are doing great things in their field. And I want to bring you on this journey with me so we can come away with a new fountain of knowledge and maybe make some changes to our lifestyle. In this episode, I chat to fashion psychologist and stylist, Dr. Dion Terrellong. This was one of the most fascinating chats that I've had with, I'm pretty sure anyone ever. She is so knowledgeable and I just had so many questions to ask her. We cover sustainability of course and we even move into confidence in clothes and expressing yourself through fashion. I started by asking Dion why she decided to combine psychology and style. It's a question I get asked quite a lot but I think it seemed like a natural fit to me Mm -hmm. and I think I was shocked that the two hadn't been combined before and they are starting to be because obviously there's the course over UAL University of Arts London who have the first fashion psychology degree and masters but that only launched a few years back so it hasn't been going very long less than a decade has been going well well less but I think what made me combine it is kind of like a mixture of things over the years and I think it's friends had always kind of come to me to come go shopping with them for that kind of moral and emotional support or advice on kind of like styling tips of what they should wear in my opinion they always were seeking it out not because I'm the best dresser maybe because I give quite honest opinions that's probably Um, it then yeah it it could be Um, I started to notice the language people use to describe themselves and talk about themselves in clothes and also to talk about where they shop. So I was struck by people kind of saying, oh, I love that outfit, but I couldn't wear it. Oh, mm. I like that shop, but that's not for me. It was this kind of classification language of people putting themselves in these little stratas and these boxes. And I wondered what that was about as well. I don't know about you, Tara, but like I've had friends who they don't like the changing rooms mm. because it makes them feel bad about themselves because they go in the changing rooms they always have bad lighting yeah They've and got the mirrors these, the are mi- very close oh my god the mirrors and there's like four of them <laughs> yeah so you get you get yourself from every angle mm. and when you're trying to squeeze yourself into a pair of jeans that are maybe a bit, a bit too tight mm. it just really deflates kind of like your any confidence that you might have had going forward mm. so people really had this emotional reaction to changing rooms an emotional reaction to wearing things they thought were or weren't for them going into shops that were or weren't for them so that for me i started to see the kind of the psychological link there between dressing practices and and shopping and clothing as well and thinking mm. there's something more than just throwing on clothes because they look good or because they keep you warm there's there's definitely a psychological process at kind of at play here mm-hmm. During my doctorate, because I wasn't busy enough, I had some mad reason decided to, <laughs> during the summer break, do a styling course. I thought if friends are always asking me to take them shopping and they value my opinion on fashion, why not do some training in it? So I went off um, to the London, where did I go? London College of Styling to do a stylist course. While I was there, I loved it. I learned about kind of like color, um, color palettes and personalities and linking to color and dressing celebrities for TV, blah, blah, all that stuff. Body shape was great. But what I was struck by while I was there was the language that people used 
about clients. And it was this kind of like depersonalization I noticed, not from everybody, just a, a few, in that they would say things, for instance, like, often I had comments like, I don't like to style people over a size 14. Mm. And that really hit me. And I remember thinking, boy on earth, like, you know, clothes are meant to be for everybody and fashion is to be enjoyed by everybody. Why would that need to be um, restricted to only kind of size eight people? I don't understand that. Yeah, and there was very little question about what would bring a person to a stylist? What's led them there today? Like, why me? Why now? Why are they here? There's, again, there's more there, the humanity, for me, in the language that people were using, not 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 the trainers, but people attending the course, mm. was more about just the clothes. They like fashion, and they want to just kind of throw that fashion on people, like they were just kind of these inanimate objects. But they're not their people's histories and stories and thoughts about themselves. And I thought, why would we not explore both? And that's what brought me around to kind of this holistic approach of addressing the insides, not their organs but, um, <laughs> so I became a surgeon yeah. basically yeah I became a surgeon and a stylist <laughs> no but addressing the insights in terms of their emotional well-being the narratives they have about themselves their history what they like about themselves what they don't like about themselves why where that came from when they were happier in their own bodies what that looks like to them mm. all of these things I think have a big impact on the way that we dress I think we already covered this. My next question was going to be, do you think there is a gap in fashion-related research and work in psychology? And there is, but it's starting mm. to change, I guess. I think it is starting to change because I think a lot of the students um, over at London College of Fashion are, are producing fantastic work. We still have a long way to go because in academia, historically, it's been massively overlooked. Um, so in psychology, it's definitely overlooked. There have been some kind of uh, research projects and articles more from kind of sociology, the kind of the sociology of dressing, looking at tribes and the role of clothing in religion mm. and in culture. There's little on the kind of, we call it the phenomenology, which meaning like the within body experience of like, if I'm wearing this today, how do I, Dion, feel in this? Not, not what do you, Tara, think of what I'm wearing or what does what I'm wearing mean in terms of the culture I come from, but what is my own personal experience in those clothes? Mm -hmm. There's very little looking into that, actually. And there used to be more interest in clothing and academia, but that was maybe in the early, late 1900s. There were people like Thomas Carlyle, who's this kind of famous scholar, and he spoke about you know, the, the transformative power of clothing and it, he had some fantastic work, but then it fell out of fashion. Psychology became quite deficit focused after the First and Second World War when people came back um, with shell shock and they didn't know what to do. So then it became the job of psychologists to address that and to help people kind of get back to a state of equilibrium. But before that, we used to focus more on helping people to flourish, mm. of taking people who were already kind of in an okay place and thinking, well, how can we make their lives even better? How can they be even happier? So we were always kind of looking upwards. That's the field of positive psychology. And that's the side that I'm interested in. Mm. And I think that's, uh, that's the area that I see fashion psychology as fitting into or, or as it could fit into. But at the moment, like I said, there's a long way to go. And what little research there is out there seems to focus on the negative side. It's looking at the impact of fashion on body image, on eating disorders. It's kind of um, trivialized, I would say, frivolous and a bit of fun. And there's this kind of um, separation between the fashion world and psychology. 
and you'll see kind of like fashion sociologists or students they're looking at it from one angle and then you've got psychologists and other academics looking from another angle but the two don't tend to meet and I'm not sure why it baffles me because we are as a species the only kind of species that dresses mm. it's 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 something that's so unique to humans and human and being a human that why wouldn't we as psychologists who are interested in human behavior look at this behavior as a daily behavior we all do it every day unless you're a nudist we all dress mm. so there's a psychological task there mm. so it is changing yeah. but very slowly and so in the wardrobe section yes what, i don't know wardrobe what to edit. <laughs> wardrobe edit. Uh-huh. so in your wardrobe edits yeah what happens there you come into the house and you yeah. kind of do you like kind of bring out all the clothes and- no i guess we'd go through an organizer okay so we'd look at things that um so for instance do you know that marie kondo yeah yeah so her little thing is she says about things that bring you joy and spark joy yeah and that's what i believe in as well so i'm not going to marie kondo your your flat or your wardrobe <laughs> that's not the point but we might start by pulling out things that do spark joy for you things mm. that you know you love and explore what is it about them that's a good starting point because then it helps you to kind of contrast the bits in your wardrobe that don't do that and then you think well why do i have them why did i buy them yeah and that helps you be more um what's the word considered in your buying process later for a start and then we'll look at things that you have worn recently and things that you might haven't worn for years we all have those trousers there that have not fit us for a long time they were like one but day. we're sure mm. we're gonna get back in it's like mm. at the moment only one leg is getting in but i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> i'll get back into those so it's about kind of going through and then also what i might do is we'll remove any bits that you have never worn that don't bring you joy that you don't like you're not sure why you have them we'll pull those out I wouldn't say throw them away, definitely not, charity shop, or mm-hmm. we'll look later how we can incorporate them some other way. And then it's about kind of trying to reinvigorate the wardrobe and thinking, okay, what can we put together here that makes outfits? I think we've got, with things being so cheap with fast fashion, is that we have lots of bits, but we don't buy outfits as much anymore. So it's about trying to put things together in sets to see, okay, this works with this. So then when you go to your wardrobe, you know I can wear that with this, this and this. I can wear this with that, that and that. And you know where you're going with it. So when you walk to your wardrobe, you're not faced with just a whole ream and raft Mm. of stuff. You have outfits and you have pieces and you can dress a lot more smartly. I don't mean smartly as in looking professional. I mean smartly as in effectively and you know what works with what and what works for you. Mm. So we really go through the wardrobe and we look at things that you might have that you think I don't know how to wear it but we'll think what key pieces do you need to add to be able to make use of this to be able to wear it okay okay you specialize in styling individuals going through periods of change and how important do you think fashion is to a person's identity and how they see themselves but also what I would like to Mm -hmm. ask is with examples you've seen would they be like kind of um sad periods of changes or you know is it usually when someone's broken up with someone or that, you know, maybe having a bit of a what am I doing with my life kind of vibe? It could be anything. Really, I think yeah. I used to work, um, so this is not for my consultant, but I used to work for an, a styling company in London and I had to always kind of hold back the psychology when I was doing that because you're supposed to be doing pure styling and you can't start giving people kind of like therapeutic counselling <laughs> sessions in the middle of Westfields. <laughs> that's not a good say place to, to do my, it my mum is a psychologist say oh, that she? to her where every time I tell oh, her something sorry. small and then she gets I'm like oh, I'm just your child please calm down you don't yeah, have to no. consult me Topshop is not the place where people <laughs> to be lying down and crying And no no not the place um, 
uh, I don't know, make people cry. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it might have people coming to you for a whole range of different reasons. So it might be a person who has a new job and they've moved fields. So they think, oh. actually, I've gone from a very corporate background to a more artsy um, career. And I've had that. And they're like, actually, I want to dress so I fit in. And I want to dress in a way that still expresses myself. And my wardrobe is all very corporate. How do I move from one to the other? Oh, I've been wow. dressing this way what for a challenge. so Yeah, I actually had a lady who had a late career change and that was what had happened with mm. her. Um, I had another lady who um, had been working for many, many years and she had retired. But then she was like, well, who am I in a day-to-day setting with my clothes oh. when I'm used to always wearing what I wear for work? Yeah. But I'm not doing that anymore. So I need more kind of like comfortable leisure wear. Then you have people perhaps who um, have lost a lot of weight. So I had a friend like that. Um, they were a lot, uh, they were larger and then they lost a lot of weight. Their clothes no longer fit them. Mm. So the way they would relate and interact with clothing changed because they, they could shop in different shops. Because shops are, you know, not the most inclusive places as mm. we know. Um, and could wear different things. So they had to kind of renegotiate the relationship between their body how they saw their body and themselves in clothes yeah but then you have people like sadder situations i guess women who maybe have had mastectomies and then that you know your breasts are a big part of you as a woman of course. and especially in our clothing is designed for certain shapes yeah so if your body has changed you might say well i used to always wear this kind of top if you had a mastectomy and it's going to look quite different mm-hmm. or you have people perhaps who've had um an illness or pregnancies even. Wow. After a pregnancy, your body changes. How can I still feel as good as I used to in my clothes, but but while dressing a little bit differently in the way I feel comfortable? So mm. there's always this kind of like renegotiation, I think, that wow. happens when people change careers or... There's just like... Change I, I never even imagined the amount of scenarios there could be. Oh, there's loads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's crazy. And Sorry, one more example that I was thinking yeah. of, which links back to why I got into this as well is mm. where I trained at the Tavistock and Portman um, they also have the gender identity uh, clinic for under 18s mm-hmm. um, and I remember I would be outside and often you'd see service users from the gender identity clinic outside and I remember just thinking to myself they are coming here for Tavistock fantastic institution in terms of their identity and as they work forward to transitioning or um, become more confident in their self-expression of maybe you know saying I was raised as female but actually I deep down I know I'm male I identify as that so they're getting the support um, around the psychological processes that might you know um, be going on but then I thought well but who's supporting them with their dressing no yeah because I think but it's not really trivial at all it's not is it because it is a massive part of our identity and I think I think back to when I was a teenager and I, I'm sure you, maybe similar for you like when you first start shopping with your friends mm. and you're trying to experiment to what you think looks cool and you find yourself going like remember like Tammy Girl you're probably younger than uh, me I'm not sure remember this one <laughs> uh, <but laughs> and you're trying to like dress and I think I made a lot of mistakes when I first started but yeah. I think what a big psychological task that must be if you have been raised by your family as one gender and dressed in those clothes and you find yourself much later on in life having to actually well what is my style now wow now that i want now that i have the chance to express my gender identity in the way that i want to 
And how daunting might it be that if you have spent your whole life going into male shops because that's where you feel you've had to go, and then you able to then go to a maybe a, uh, um, a shop that is more so directed at females to walk in. First of all, that must could be quite daunting. Mm. Um, you know, would you feel confident enough to yeah. go? It's a big task, it I is, think. It is, because you yeah. might walk in and not even know your size. Oh my gosh. In that. You well, know, I barely know sometimes. Same. Every shop differs. So that's it. it. Yeah. And like, uh, that's yeah. the issue that women have to deal with yeah. is even yesterday, someone was asking my uh, size and a few different things. I was yeah. like, okay, so I'm this size in this yeah. brand, uh-huh. but then it depends if the fabric is stretchy. Because if it's, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> it has a little give, <laughs> I'll go a size yeah, down. Yeah, <laughs> like, and it's like, and I had to, I was like, sorry, it's so complicated. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I just think that's, another area that I would love to support people in people who have are trying to express their gender identity in the way that they want to um but might who might be a bit more nervous obviously I've got friends who do that and they're perfectly confident walking into whatever shop they like and Mm. our shops these days are a lot more inclusive and uh a lot more kind of non-binary aware which is fantastic but we know we still have a long way to go so I would love to support anybody who wants to be able to just walk into a shop and to have that support to and to know like what size they are in different shops yeah. and what the different cuts of different clothes are mm. I wouldn't know if I had to shop somewhere different than I have been shopping for years and years yeah. it feels like starting again it does almost even like shopping say for jeans oh. and you know like all, you're like okay it depends mm-hmm. again how high-waisted they mm-hmm. are what kind of stretchiness they yeah. are but then it, what yeah. shop are you in as well yeah. it's like that's and that kind of turns me off I mean jeans I kind of, I hate buying jeans yeah. but but trying a new brand is like um it's it, it's it can work. it is work and it, it's annoying because I mean and I, I'm not a man so I can't say if it's easier in uh, to shop for men's clothes mm. um but for women it can just be so especially because there's so many different types of female shapes like yeah. we're all yeah. so different so yeah. when you go into a shop and there's only like say four or five sizes yeah. it's not that simple no mm. and it's always the question of where do you start mm. there's so much so i just think yeah, yeah i just think that it's it's a, it's a massive task and it's a big undertaking clothing although we've said many times this interview is trivialized it is one of the biggest forms of non-verbal communication that we have about ourselves to the outside world when you're walking down the street when you're in a room when you're in an interview before you've opened your mouth people have made a judgment about you not necessarily negative but about who you are and what you're like and you know the kind of things you might be into based on how you've presented yourself visually through your clothing so i think bear that in mind as well not that you'll be judged but what do you want to present so i would say slow down and think about that um and speaking of identity do you think personal style has taken a backseat with the rise of fast fashion and 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 when i say that i mean with people following trends and a lot of the stuff is the same and and then it's also you know a lot of those brand a lot of those companies then copy what is happening with the celebrities you know so kind of turns into a kind of carbon copy everything's the same if that makes sense yeah i guess we are seeing lots of little carbon copies of you know celebrities and instagram influencers and i think what has made the difference to me over the years that i have seen is not so much fast fashion it's social media Mm -hmm. i would say because i think about when you were when i was growing up uh, in the 90s i said that one quietly (laughs) is growing up uh, you would look to your peers as to what to wear so that might be your small friendship group it might be your class it might be your school but that's as far as it went 
But now you, as a young person or even as an adult, you're not just looking at your colleagues or your peers around you. It's the world because you have the world at your fingertips now through social media. So you're comparing yourself to this like seven foot Glamazonian who lives in New Zealand that you never met. But that's now your peer group as well. I can, you know, see how that might impact on your identity and maybe um, your willingness to try things they're a little bit different mm. and i wonder if it's making us a little bit more homogenous actually because i have noticed that wherever you travel in the world there are trends that are kind of everywhere mm. now and i'm not sure if it was quite the same before but we have always had trends haven't we of course yeah like if you, as long as there's been fashion and clothing there's been trends whether it's the bustle whether it's corsets and nipped weights whether it's you know men wearing um those little kind of um, court shoes with the heel yeah, you know yeah. when you've got like, Louis V or whatever there's mm. always been trends um, but my first thought when you asked me that question before was that I didn't think it had because when I thought about fast fashion like I said I thought about cheaper brands that have allowed a wider range of people to access fashion I don't I think that it's had horribly negative effects on our environment because we're pumping out clothes so quickly and so much and it's ending up in the landfill but the other side of that is that you have people who might not have very much money who now can get an outfit for the weekend to go out for very little and can fit in a lot more easily with their peers and not feel like they stand out mm. hey it's me tara i'm interrupting because i have a public service announcement That amazing chat that you were just listening to was recorded seven months ago, before COVID-19. I caught up with Dr. Terry Long again via Zoom this time, just a few weeks ago, and we talked about how she's been getting on and maybe how her feelings have changed since we last spoke. Also, a small disclaimer, I was so excited to chat again that I managed to botch the audio on the first part of this chat. So I am sending my sincere apologies to your ears. And I'm very sorry that this gorgeous and amazing chat is not as perfect as I would have liked. I started by asking if Dion's personal relationship with the psychology of fashion has changed since lockdown. It's been a weird time. pandemic, And then we've had like this massive increase in uh narratives um exploring like race talk because of um kind of like what happened in america and the trickle down effect of that which has like been fantastic in one sense uh heartbreaking in another um but i think what that's made me do is to have to go back and think about my own experiences and analyze situations conversations i've had with people where i've kind of had a feeling and i've swallowed that feeling and pushed it down or not had the words to put to it to explain why I feel that way or to challenge when you are so by far the minority that you're made to feel that whatever uncomfortable feeling you've just experienced by somebody saying something or doing something or positioning you some way must be on your head and I think now with the increased talk around race it's so refreshing and it's made me realize it wasn't all in my head these little Mm. microaggressions that I was experiencing And in terms of fashion psychology, what it's made me think about is the way that I use clothes as almost like a protective factor throughout my life. In that I'm just, I was thinking about a a particular uh, set of experiences when I started my doctorate and I started studying in a fantastic institution, but it is in like one of the wealthiest boroughs uh, and suburbs in London and Mm. a pretty homogeneously quite, you know, white area. 
and obviously you know like the higher you study the more white it gets that's just a fact mm, mm. um so you are in a in a very white area in a very white institution sat in a class with mostly white people doing a subject and studying at a level where they people don't expect black people to be they just don't mm -hmm. like when you picture the word when you say doctor you picture a middle-aged white man in your head instantly mm. you do not picture like a black girl in her I was sustained late 20s then. I won't say how old I am now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I was very aware of that. I'm very aware of like feeling at a place and feeling like I shouldn't be here. I'm not good enough to be here. People are going to realise and notice that I'm not shouldn't be here. And I have to differentiate myself and prove that I'm good enough and that I'm like other people that I'm there that are there. So I kind of like use clothes to do that. So I so I like toned down like the colours I would wear to make myself not stand out too much. Mm. I wore little button down cardigans which is not me that kind of like safer look mm -hmm. um i would always like I put my glasses on now because i need to, i'm trying to see but back then i didn't need to wear them so much but i would always wear my glasses when i was doing my psychology work when i was in seminars and lectures or meeting with people because in my mind if i wear glasses glasses for some reason are associated with intelligence or looking studious mm. and it felt like they formed part of my disguise to kind of try to like mitigate and minimize my blackness to go I can't hide the fact that I'm black and that I'm different and you're going to position me and presume that I'm not good enough to be here but mm. look I've got glasses that might symbolize to you that I'm a bit studious it's ridiculous mm. Isn't it? mm. but look wearing a cardigan like all the other middle class white people in this room so maybe you can see that I, I'm a little bit aligned with them so therefore mm. you might think that I maybe deserve and I should be here it's always like, like you can see like an invisible line of people mm -hmm. and I was doing everything I could to make myself fall in line with them but the only ways I could think of doing that were well actually to speak a bit more like them and then and, and through my clothing mm. I actively did that and I days I said to myself when I didn't wear my glasses or I forgot them I genuinely felt uncomfortable almost like I'd forgotten part of my disguise and I was going to get found out or discovered wow. which is so weird when I think about it yeah but I, when you're telling me that, I'm like, yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm like, of course, you just want to study. You want to get your doctorate. You don't want to have to deal with all the other layers that you have to go through to be able to get the same experiences as uh, yeah. another white middle-class person might get. Like trying to look professional. Like the world yeah. tells you what is professional. Having braids is not professional. Having cornrows is not professional. If you wore my hair, wore my hair out in afro, that wouldn't be professional. If I wore loud prints or, uh, you know, whatever, that wouldn't be professional. If I spoke in the way that I used to coming from Luton, that wouldn't be professional. Mm. All of these things. But what that tells you is that the, the average, the, the norm, which is in that area, it was being middle class and white. That was a thing to aspire to be because mm -hmm. that was the average. So you always had to work your way to being more like them in order to be successful and to look professional. Now, looking back at yourself, when you were studying, would you maybe do it differently now with your mindset? Or do you think, no, actually, I would just do it the same because all I want to do is get my doctorate at the end of the day? That's a really hard question. Yeah. In my head, I feel this like pull between the both. I feel that if I could go back, I might do similar, but I would try, I would try to reassure myself that I am good enough to be there. Mm -hmm. But I think there is so hard at this point because things haven't moved on quite far enough yet that studying that level is hard enough already. If I were feeling anxious because the fact I was making myself look even more visibly different, 
then that's hard. It's like going to a party and you go to a party and everyone's just wearing like jeans and trainers and you've dressed up for that party mm. and you, you feel out of place. It's that. But I haven't dressed up. It's just the color of my skin. But it always makes you feel that little bit out of place. Anything you can do to bring yourself in place, you're going to want to do it. But I yeah. wish that things had changed enough for me to say, no, going back now, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm not 100% sure I wouldn't. And now, obviously, in the last few weeks, um, Boohoo have been so in the media so much with everything over there, and with Leicester and everything. And do you have any like thoughts on, I mean, suddenly, I mean, we know, we've talked about this before, we know it's been going on in places in Asia. I was asked this question recently, um, do I think that because it's closer to us that people care? And I was like, yeah, definitely. I don't know, what do you think? It's odd, isn't it? It's like, I remember when I found out about it not that long ago, and I thought, how am I just finding about, out about this now, that people are being paid this like ridiculous wage. I think my first thought was, I didn't know they were made here. And I thought, well, why would that make a difference, actually? Like, don't people deserve a fair wage anywhere? And then this made me think about fast fashion. And when you see kind of Instagram influencers who seem to be wearing like three different outfits a day, and you're like, where are they getting all those outfits from? Mm. And then people who try to emulate that, and they're out there kind of wearing these like 4 99 dresses. And you think, well, if it only costs four ninety nine, then and the company has to make money from that, then how much do you think the people who are making them are earning? And mm. it's almost like I wondered if is it that people don't like to feel guilt is what I was thinking about. Because uh, I was thinking, were we not aware of this before? Were people not aware of this before, or did we just not think about it deliberately? Like almost like a protective factor because you want to get on with your day to day life. You want to live. I'm not say ignorant, but oblivious to it all because it's, it's, it's comfier, it's safer. You can enjoy your little 499 dress and go out and have fun. But you don't want to think about those more difficult things because then they make us feel uncomfortable and people don't like being in a state of uncomfort. The same with all the race talks. People were aware of this stuff before, but when we talk about that kind of fragility and, and the silence that people kind of use to, to protect themselves, I think the same thing goes here. I think that... It is in the media much more now. One, because we're in lockdown. And I feel like we're a much more captive audience at the moment because we're not really going anywhere. Um, so I think discussions are being had and had for longer because we have people's attention. They're not like mm. looking at it online for a minute and then running out to the bar because they're not open yet. Um, and things like that, they, they are sticking with it. Um, and also I think because the fact, I think exactly what you said, because it's on our doorstep, mm. because it's Leicester, it's not Bangladesh this time, you know, it's like, it's almost like echoes, isn't it? So when, when something's dropped, it's, if you're very close to the epicenter, you hear it loudly and it's almost like the sound waves travel. And sometimes it feels like it's something happens in Asia. By the time the sound waves reach over here, that it's quite quiet. Mm. Like people are a little bit aware, but it's quite quiet, but it happened right here. So it feels a lot louder. And I think that it gets people's attention more because when people can associate with a place or the people there, they feel it more personally. So to think that I have been in a place where people are being exploited like that in a place that I have been, it shouldn't be this way that people can relate and sympathize with situations more just because it relates to them more personally, but they do that. Mm. They do that. 
Well, that's it for me for this week's episode of Dirty Laundry. You can follow me over on Insta at Tarrant Stewart DJ and catch me Monday to Thursday nights on 2FM from 7 and Sundays from 9 with my new music radio show. Coming up in next week's episode, I chat to sustainable fashion lover and activist Keelan Moncrief. I was like, I'm never shopping fast fashion ever again. This is so bad and I have to tell everyone about it. And then from then, I kind of turned into a little bit of a militant activist because, you know, there's politics within everything. I'll talk to you then.